Hello, all you bats and cats out there. Welcome to the Fishnets and Phantoms first ever horrific Valentine's Eve podcast. Fishnets and Phantoms podcast is a genre media podcast with a post-punk perspective. And as always, this is your host, Amy Schofsrain. Don't all right. In case you do not follow our Facebook group and page, which you should, which you should. Uh, soon I'll get an Instagram one up. And we had a little bit of fun. We had a poll to decide which movie to do for our horrific Valentine's Day Eve. And it ended, dun da da da, in a three way tie. The films tied for first were Let the Right One In. Only Lovers Left Alive, which of course was my favorite because I think I've mentioned once or twice that I like Jim Jarmusch movies. Jim Jarmusch, if you're out there, I love your movies. I don't think you'll ever hear this, but if you do, hey. Okay, so Only Lovers Left Alive, which is actually my favorite Jim Jarmusch movie. It's it's kind of an achingly beautiful movie. And Cat People. That was the third most popular movie. And so it was a three-way tie, so I used the ever-popular means to decide and i decided on the one that was free <laughs> the one that was free for me to watch and well it is currently free on hbo if you happen to have that i have it for free also because it was part of a phone deal i'm cheap i'm podcaster i'm cheap i don't have a lot of money but did i'd have like a fancy studio instead of in a living room with my cats and the noise of the traffic outside <laughs> Okay, we decided on Cat People, the 1982 movie with Malcolm McDowell and Natasha Kinski, daughter of Werner Herzog's Nosferatu, Klaus Kinski. Before we get into that, however, let's do a little bit of news. In science news, we have Neanderthal, Neanderthal. In this article from January 30th, the science journal The Cell reports that a new study by geneticist Joshua Akei of Princeton has found that the Neanderthal and human modern human populations were more connected than we ever thought before. So their study suggests that not only did the modern humans leave Africa and breed with the Neanderthals, but also returned to Africa, bringing the cell lines of the Neanderthals back to the human lineages in Africa, and then moved back on out again into the rest of the world. It was earlier thought that people from modern Africa had little to no genetic Neanderthal makeup. It was also found that the modern Europeans and East Asians had a nearly identical amount of Neanderthal genes. All of this comes together to suggest that modern humans share a similar amount of Neanderthal DNA. As far as it seems, it looks like uh, modern humans left Africa, found some Neanderthals, had some partying, uh, went on back down to Africa because it's cold up north, <laughs> I'm guessing. I mean, you know, who knows why. Or maybe they all originally came from the same place and then split off. I don't know. Nobody knows. But as far as they know, as far as science knows today, they definitely had two distinct occasions of hooking up. And it seems that all of us have pretty much the same amount of Neanderthal DNA in us, which is awesome. Yay! And I know that it's so tempting to always say Neanderthal, but it's Neanderthal. And so I'm going to be good and use the right word, use the right, the right, the right science word, and the science-y. Science it up. So next in science news, 
I'm not saying it's aliens, but... Uh, scientists at Cornell University have identified what's called FRBs, fast radio bursts, being sent out in 16-day interval, intervals, intervals from an area half a billion light years away from the Earth. Some scientists say... Before you get out all your towels and electronic thumbs for hitchhiking off this planet, that it could be natural pulses from a pulsar or some other natural phenomenon and not aliens trying to connect with us. Maybe, you know, you know, say hi. Maybe go have a party like the Neanderthals and the... Uh, well, anyways, we don't want to talk about them. Um, so anyways, uh, the pulse is in a regular pa- pattern and that's pretty unusual. There's a lot of noise in space, of course, but very little of it is what one would call regular or seemingly intentional, though sometimes some things seem intentional. They're not. So I'm still not saying it's aliens. Finally, in science news, out of your body mind. Recently, scientists studying cognition, as it's also known, consciousness, have challenged the heretofore accepted idea that consciousness is only located in one's brain and its physical structure. Professor Dan Siegel, working with 40 scientists from many disciplines, including neuroscientists, anthropologists, physicists, psychiatrists like Dr. Siegel, defined the mind, quote-unquote, as the emergent self-organizing process, both embodied and relational, that that regulates energy and information flow within us and among us. The most shocking part of this definition is that it proposes that one's mind extends beyond our physical bodies. Siegel and the others argue that it is impossible to disentangle subjective view from other interactions. Siegel likened defining the mind to trying to define the shoreline while leaving out the water or the sand. One's thoughts, feelings, memories, attention, and what you experience in this subjective world is a part of the mind. All of um, Siegel pointed to mathematics, saying that complex systems of math are self-organizing. Perhaps unsurprisingly, this led Siegel to echo religious and familial ideas of the health of the mind being in the relational process. So yeah, uh, apparently they believe now that we are not just a squishy gooey bit of brain stuff and that not only our bodily systems, but All of our interactions with everybody else on uh, this uh, big blue marble, as they call it, are important, and they make us us. So I'm not exactly sure what they are proposing, if they're proposing the concept of a soul being a scientific thing, or what exactly. I guess I'd have to call up Mr. Siegel, and I don't think he's taking my calls, so... Okay, well, now we get into the fun stuff. Uh, Speaking of the relational process, onto the subject of tonight's podcast. Ah, the horror of love. As we have explored in other shows, horror and other genre media is about life, just as much as mainstream media is 
And since probably 70% or more of stories, which is a very rough estimate, did not even remotely try to look that one up, but I'd say about 70% of more stories are about or have an important side plot about romantic love. Horror movies are no different than that. In fact, in a way, horror fiction is a particularly good genre to explore concepts of love and romantic love. Since horror is able to deal with the edges of human psychology, it is able to address the darker parts of the sometimes all-consuming emotion of romantic love. The idea of love as an affliction is not a remotely new one. It was often seen by physicians in eras before the scientific method and logical-based medicine and the fairly recent discipline of psychology and psychiatry to be a state that led to a lack of reason and also a wasting away of the body for those that were unlucky enough to have contracted unrequited love. Unrequited meaning they're they're not having it. They don't like you back. And it mirrored a process of disease, so made sense. You accidentally caught love. People used to think that love could be a wonderful thing, but it could also be a very harmful disease. Looking at this from a modern perspective is with our focus on emotions and their influence on action, we know that intense obsessive infatuation sometimes leads to horrific crimes of passion. Plays and plays in fiction that were, at the time they were written, intensely romantic are now close to the plot of terrifying stories and more terrifying real-life events. So it is not surprising to see love as an evil, as evil as it is wonderful. Even non-romantic love can lead to violence, corruption, and murder. The famous stories of rich families that spent their lives accruing power pass on to their children like the Medicis, no doubt did so out of love. But love is one of the few things that keeps us going in this world, so I guess they're probably not incredibly evil. This, however, is the negative view of love, which of course is a wonderful experience as well as engendering pain. The uh, movie that we will talk about tonight is Paul Schrader's 1982 Cat People, starring Malcolm McDowell and Natasha Kinski. It has elements of both of the dark and the light sides of love. Honestly, more dark than light. But eh, I guess it all depends on one's point of view, as uh, Alec Guinness so expertly says. Cat People in the 1982 version is a remake of the original movie from 1942, 40 years earlier, starring Simone Simone and directed by Jacques Tonard for RKO Pictures. Cat People was ubiquitous in 1982 when the popularity of the beautiful actress Natasha Kinski and its sexually centered plot, the stylish remake was a big hit. Cat People had a mixed reception on its release, with some seeing it as hypnotic and well-crafted, and others finding it lurid and grisly. Today on Rotten Tomatoes, it gets a rating of approximately 6.2 out of 10 stars. Tomatoes? Rotten Tomatoes? Squishy, smelly blobs? I don't know. Anyways, uh, 6 out of 2 of them, whatever they are. Uh, Metacritic gives it a 62%, which is oddly close to the Rotten Tomatoes score. And, you know, I still feel about the same, possibly a little bit lower. The movie is, of course, quite dated now. Of course, the street fashions shown, um, but also the acting and the recording style, just... Just everything about it has a very 80s feel, kind of hollowness, I think, I noticed in the 
um, the recording style that I noticed. It's almost like a, a TV stage set sometimes, um, though this was definitely a big production uh, with a veteran director, so it was not a, not even remotely a TV production. Um, seeing it today, the movie was, of course, a little bit tamer than it was seen as in the time it was released in 1982, but it does have um, a fair amount of sex scenes and nudity, and the things that it addresses are still pretty problematic um, and kind of recent, going back to the Game of Thrones thing. Uh, today's audience would probably also recoil at the themes of incest and sexual violence. By, I, I think that the sexual violence was supposed to be justified by trying to defeat the curse that the cat people, the werecats, were under. All of which is a bit horrible, but um, yeah, that's the story. And a lot of stories, fairy tales, myths are pretty deeply problematic. I guess maybe that's because life is problematic and, you know, there we go. The plot of this movie is somewhat spare. Oh, and uh, here's the spoiler warning. Ding, 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 ding! This is a spoiler warning for a movie from 1982. Ding, ding, ding. Okay, uh, the film starts out with a flashback to a tribe who seemingly sacrifice a young woman to a large black leopard. The This part and other parts when they suggest supernatu- supernaturality, and when the supernaturality is implied, they're, they are lit in a giallo-esque palette of intense blues and reds. The scene ends in a close-up of the Aboriginal girl whose face morphs into Natasha Kinsky's. Uh, this leads to the credits with the inarguably best part of the movie, David Bowie's theme song titled Cat People slash Putting Out Fire with Gasoline, which was subsequently used to great effect in the climax of Quentin Tarantino's Inglorious Bastards. If you are not a Tarantino fan, I've had some people say that Inglorious Bastards is actually the one, one of the few that they do like. It's it's gory, of course. It's got its its gore scenes, but it's all makeup, you know. I mean, they're not actually really hurting the people. Uh, there would be a bit of a problem if they were. There'd be a lot of union representatives out there. I would suggest going to see Quentin Tarantino's film *Glorious Bastards*, even if it's just for the incredible scene uh, where the David Bowie song "Putting Out Fire with Gasoline" is used. And I'm not going to spoil that scene because if you haven't seen it or heard about it somehow, which might be kind of tough. It's a really good scene. It's amazing, and you should see it. Everyone should see it, except for, I don't know, little children. (laughs) All right. Um, And when I say inarguably, don't worry, I'm kidding. This is social media age, and I am very well aware that any, any point from dress color to the pronunciation of words can and will be argued. Yet still, Still the best part of the movie. I'm going to say that. I'm going to say that. That is true. A Irina arrives in New Orleans from Canada and is picked up by her brother, Paul. Malcolm McLaren. <laughs> Malcolm McLaren. No, Malcolm McDowell. Malcolm McDowell, Malcolm McLaren, two very different people. Possibly friends. Who knows? Um, Malcolm McDowell takes her to his home that he shares with an African-American woman. I believe she is Creole French. Um, And her name is Fimale. Um, It is written out as female, but it is pronounced Fimale. She tells the long story of her name being a mix-up on uh, her birth records. And honestly, she's really the most interesting character in the whole movie. I mean, I don't want to, like, um, cut on the movie, but the characters are pretty, uh, cardboard, 
cardboard cutouts of, you know, here is the sexy sister. Here is the menacing brother. And then in the middle of it, there's this Creole woman with, like, a cool backstory. And, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I guess there are some backstories that are a little bit interesting, but, eh. She tells her story, and I'm not exactly sure why they actually included her, because she doesn't really serve a lot of point in the movie. I mean, maybe to be somebody for uh, Irina to stay with. Eh, You'll find out later when I talk about the plot more. Um, The house that they are in are filled with creepy circus memorabilia, and we find out that Paul was raised in the circus by, I think it was by their birth parents, um... He, like, takes a mask out of a um, case and um, some juggling balls and uh, kind of menaces Irina while he's juggling. And, um, I don't know, he seems like he's kind of feeling her out to see how tough she is, feel out how far he can push her buttons or how many buttons she can push. can't really push buttons farther or not as far, I guess. Well, I mean, I suppose you could. Eh. Anyways... Irina goes to sleep, and Paul goes creeps into her room to watch her sleep and is acting very predatory. Femali uh, is watching from the stairs, and she looks disturbed by his actions. And then uh, Paul jumps out the window, kind of showing that he has supernatural abilities. In an interview, Malcolm McDowell says that the stunt of him flying out the window was filmed backwards and then reversed to make it seem otherworldly. He also mentions that he originally was not going to do the movie at all because he thought it was the plot of a porno, Um, until the director explained to him that it was artistic eroticism, not pornography. And, uh, you know, the old, what is the old adage? Uh, How do you define pornography? You'll know it when you see it. Um, and yeah, this is this is definitely artistic film. There is a lot of erotic content, but it's um, I I know that it is not. <laughs> I know it because I saw it. So, anyways, they cut to a scene of a masseuse, and she's late for work and kind of complaining with her bosses about everyday sort of things. And she goes up to a room that they um, imply kind of imply that Malcolm McDowell is in and um, is graphically murdered by a large black leopard. Um, it's pretty gory. I mean, it's, I've seen a much worse gore, but it was a little gorier than I expected. Um, animal control is called and they take the leopard to the zoo. The zookeepers are a young couple, Oliver and Alice. Uh, the scene changes and Irina is somewhat concerned that Paul has disappeared. He has gone missing. Fimali assures her that he disappears um, pretty often. It's not like a thing to be worried about. So Irina just wanders around the city, does touristy things, and she ends up at the zoo where she's entranced by the new black leopard who is, I'm guessing, walking off his ketamine hangover because, <laughs> uh, yeah, they uh, dosed him with a good good couple shots of ketamine in, uh, the, at the murder scene. Um, the head zookeeper, Oliver, is discussing how the new panther pu- oh, how the new um, panther puked up pizza when they first brought him in. He sees Irina um, sketching the panther and goes over to flirt very heavily with her, despite his girlfriend's being right there. And um, mm. the next day, Irina returns and is hanging out with Alice. And they're talking girl talk, and she admits that she's a virgin uh, because Alice invites her to go clubbing and 
etc., etc. Meanwhile, at the zoo, one of the keepers, a very young Ed Begley Jr., who's looking as nerdly as ever, uh, getting his Egon look going, is trying to clean the Black Panther Paul slash Paul's cage and pisses him off. So... Paul Panther, or Panther Paul, rips his arm off and kills him. Uh, Irina and Alice are there. Um, they had just returned from their little dinner or whatever they were doing. And the blood uh, seemingly skims over the bricks and washes onto Irina's shoes. I'm guessing that this is a symbolic uh, representation of Irina's loss of innocence. In the zoo office, Oliver gets out his rifle and reluctantly goes out to kill the Paul Panther. Oh, I guess we're not supposed to know that it's Paul Panther, but it's pretty heavily implied that it's Paul Panther. Shh, don't tell anyone. Okay, so that he, um, he goes to the cage reluctantly to put the panther down, and there's no panther. He is missing, and there is only a pile of woo left, somewhat like the scene at the prostitute's murder. Paul Panther has now returned. Well, Paul is no longer Panther. Paul, regular Paul, has returned home and dis dismisses his absence by saying that he was in prison again. Prison again. Prison again. That was, like, uh, the important part. Uh, no one thinks that that is odd, because apparently Paul goes to prison a lot. <laughs> um, which you find out later that he does actually go to prison a lot. Um, he was diagnosed as um, violent and mentally ill as a child and was in and out of prisons and mental hospitals when he was a child. They explain that in a kind of just kind of media drop or not media uh, <laughs> info dump info dump um, that night Paul is very very insistent with Irina um, he very intensely interrogates her about sex and her experience and tries well I guess no no cut beating around the bush um, he tries to rape her um, and she is not having it. She um, pushes him away and escapes to the street below, where she runs into a couple of cops. And um, they are taking her um, to a safe place, but they notice that the uh, dog, their uh, police dog, reacts um, very, very intensely. Um, and something seems off about the house that, that her female and Paul are staying in, and... They get a couple of detectives to come and check it out, and lo and behold, those happen to also be the detectives that were at the prostitute's murder. Well, I'm sorry, Masseuse's murder um, earlier in the in the movie. Um, so they go down to the basement and they find um, a bunch of cages, and um, well, actually, they search the house and find cages underneath where Paul apparently was doing quite a bit of stowing. Uh, they believe Paul had the, pan the panther as a pet and fed people to it. They arrest Famale uh, and not Irina, I guess, because Irina is visiting from Canada and the corpses are old and, well, Famale is black. Um, so, you know, somehow or another she was in in involved in the murders. Um, yeah. Mm. Anyways, I'm not going to talk about that right now. That is a whole other problematic area that we may or may not deal with in the future in horror movies. Um, all right. 
Irina spends time with Oliver uh, to keep away from Paul, to hide out, and almost has sex with him, but goes home and wakes up, or she leaves, she pushes him away, and she wakes up naked and covered in blood and goo, and I'm guessing she didn't completely change because she didn't go all the way, um, but she was interested enough to do a partial, partial panthering, partial panthering, and you know what, I realized that I keep saying panther when it is a leopard. Sorry, I guess Black Panther is in my mind, and apparently Chadwick Bosman is um, in my brain. Uh, yeah, forgive the digression there. Uh, she goes to hide with Oliver, but Paul finds her and tries to explain that their family is cursed to become leopards if they have non-incestuous sex. He tries to convince her to live as a married couple like their parents did and uh, all of their ancestors because they were cursed. I'm not. They don't really explain why they were cursed or, you know, like, what is the curse? Like, what's the point of the curse? Maybe they don't know. It's probably lost a time or something like that. But, yeah, they, uh, they have to be with, uh, I'm guessing, a sister or a brother, um, cousins must be out because, um, well, yeah, otherwise you wouldn't go for your sister or brother. I would imagine that they had some prob problematic um, genetic makeups, and uh, there's probably some. Um, yeah, that actually might be why. Uh, oh, I just thought of that. Yeah. Paul, since Paul seems to be a bit insane, uh, it might have to do with his rather singular genetic inheritance, and by singular. I mean, not binary. Well, it's binary, I guess. It's just binary of the same, or mostly the same. Anyways, he tries to convince her um, to have sex with him, but she still says no, so he tries again to force her. Oliver comes to the rescue and fight the supernaturally strong Paul, but he Paul is fatally shot by Alice. I'm not sure why Alice was there. Um... <laughs> um Oliver and um, Irina are going to hook up, but all of a sudden... Oliver's ex-girlfriend is there to save the day and shoot Paul. Um, afterwards, in the probably the most famous scene that uh, has showed on all like review shows and such like, there's a scene where Alice is swimming in a pool and she's of course swimming topless because movie. She's swimming in the pool and then the lights go out and you see uh, intense shadows of a, a panther stalking the pool area. She manages to stalk Alice, but she doesn't kill her. She attempts to kill herself afterwards because she does not want to become a murderer but she's stopped by Oliver and he he pulls her off the bridge but she still begs him to kill her because she's afraid she will kill again and that's when you find out that she actually has killed um, Paul's housekeeper. Uh, apparently, celibacy is not an option, so Oliver ties her very slowly to the bed and I, and uh, has sex with her. And then he imprisons her in the zoo. She apparently suffers from some sort of feline Stockholm syndrome because instead of ripping off Oliver's arm, like um, Paul did to um, Ed Begley Jr., I forgot what his name was, uh, she nuzzles 
Oliver and lets him pet her as though he is her, like, I don't know, she's his pet. Um, which is a little bit odd in the zoo to just see somebody reach into the cage. First of all, the zoo is a very unsafe zoo. All of the cages are um, open so that anybody could just reach their hand in there. And so I'm sure lots of kids would be eaten at the zoo. So it's a movie zoo. Um, but yes, yeah, so he reaches in and pets her like she's a kitty cat. Except for it's pretty obvious that he's back with Alice and um, is kissing her right in front of Irina. Yeah, so uh, yeah. To sum up the movie, innocent young woman goes to meet her brother who attempts several times to rape her. Falls for a kind of jerky zookeeper who's cheating on his girlfriend. Has sex with zookeeper and then gets to spend the rest of her life in solitary confinement. Because love, vomit, vomit, vomit. Um, not sure why she can't just not kill anyone and go down to, I don't know, Africa or wherever leopards live free and live as a panther. Um, you know, maybe, I mean, maybe she doesn't want to live as a panther because she grew up as a human, doesn't know panther speak, but I don't know, supernatural. So maybe she just, you know, automatically knows panther speak when she's a, oh gosh, leopard speak, leopard, 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 leopard. Anyways, so she should go down to Africa, find some nice hot Chadwick, uh, oh no, I mean, uh, nice hot, uh, leopard boys, you know, just live down there just live as a panther and um that would be awesome but you know can't have that because gotta have uh good old oliver control her you know so he can keep a watch over so she you know doesn't misbehave and go around killing people like her brother did it's okay if she's in a tiny box for her life because you know oliver loves her except for he doesn't because he's back with alice and if you love somebody you don't keep them in solitary confinement in a little cage yeah no that's not cool and yeah whatever happened to Famale? <laughs> like I, I don't know if the movie misspoke and they were trying to say that she killed Famale when she was uh, when she, to become unpanthered. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I don't know what happens to her. And that's pretty problematic. That goes back to the other things in horror movies that are kind of problematic, just kind of the disappearance of side characters. Yeah. Um, what I would like to see is the fabulous, fantabulous adventures of Fimali and Irina Panther. <sighs> leopard. Irina Leopard. <laughs> All right. So that's cat people. Um, it really isn't a love story. I mean, it was marketed as a love story and some people see it as a love story, but yeah, if you love somebody, you don't lock them up in a tiny little cage. And, um, yeah, and, I mean, it's nice that she loved Oliver enough to not eat him. Um, because she could have, apparently, very easily. But, yeah, it just, it seemed very full of predatory behavior and had a pretty poor message at the end. If you want someone, keep them locked up in a cage. Or if you love someone, don't set them free. Keep them locked up in a cage forever and ever and make out with your new girl or your old girlfriend in front of them. Eh, I'd imagine that Irina probably pulled his arm off again a little bit later. They just didn't film that part. I imagine that you have thoughts about the problematic things with cat beeps. Yell as loudly as you want at the podcast. I unfortunately cannot hear you. So... Feel free to post those responses on the Fishnets and Phantoms podcast group page on Facebook. I want to say thank you to everyone who voted in our poll. Hugs and kisses to all of you. Um, post about any movies that you would like to see me cover or 
any bands that you saw, anything that uh, fits this little podcast of mine. And make sure to come on down to Bayview in southeastern Milwaukee and patronize Rushmore Records, who I have been going to in, since I was an itty-bitty baby bat. Uh, long flowy dresses and punky white hair. Spiky white hair. And Love Unlimited for cool old threads, bling, and kicks. On the 20, They are both located on the 2600 block of Kinnick Avenue in beautiful Bayview. The other east side, I should say. Ooh, can't get the sayings right. Please do us a huge yet utterly free favor of subscribing and rating this podcast on your podcast provider. Uh, if you're on Apple Podcasts or on Google Podcasts or Spotify, I think they all have different names. Like one is subscribe, one is like, one is follow, something like that. It only takes a few minutes, and if you are sweet, I will mention your name on air. So there is no 31st of this month. I've got an art show coming up. Oh, yes, actually, I'm going to shamelessly self-promote myself. I'm going to be in the Swan Support Women Artists Now art show coming up, uh, I believe, on March 28th. March 28th? Hmm. But check it out. Uh, It's got a Facebook page up as well. And so otherwise, I will see you in March on Friday the 13th. Um, Finally, on a sadder note, I'm just going to throw this little bit in here. I just found out about the passing of an old friend. Um, I haven't seen him in a million years, and I actually really only spent a couple summers hanging out with him and uh, that group of friends. Uh, But, yeah, that's oh so long ago. And I have to say uh, farewell to Dave O'Connor, when we lost to cancer a couple days ago. So, take care in heaven.